You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Meltzer Westwater football podcast, week four. And Matt, if I say the actual percentage of the season through, people will be sad. We're going into the uh, 25th percent of the season already. Is that correct? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it mostly depends on how many games your team has played. Because I think technically, if you look at websites, they they count to like, what, week 15, which is really, that's just when Army and Navy plays. You got by uh, weeks, but yeah. One it's one cool. third of the season for some teams, one quarter for others, give or take. Gotcha. Our website's mwr.com, so we probably should mention that before we just roll through. If you stumbled across, just like, who are these guys? What's going on? Well, that's who we are. So we're breaking up the the show this week because lots of games, and we don't. We've I've noticed me and Matt have noticed the length. The show's getting longer, and I'm assuming the two hour show is not for everybody. It could be for some. So if you like the long show, just wait, and we'll have two parts today for you. One. Later today on uh, Thursday, the 22nd, and then one tonight on the 22nd as well. So you can always just combine them, but we appreciate everybody who listens. And we're going to go through four games right now. So we have two Friday night games, Nevada Air Force, Boise, Utah, Toledo, San Diego State, then Sac State, Colorado State. And then we'll do the rest tonight. So it takes you to mid-afternoon on Saturday. So anything we need to get with or should we just hop into the games? But any news we need to discuss or is it just uh, game time? And let's, gonna... uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Game number one, Nevada at Air Force. Um, it's uh what five o'clock Pacific, six p.m. there in Colorado Springs. FS1. So if you have FS1, watch the game. If you don't get FS1, the Fubo trial is a good way to get it to help us out, and you can watch the game for free. But man, I don't know what to make of Nevada, Matt, because this game has them as a twenty forty six and a half. I wonder if that means they're thinking it's going to be a little bit more of a defensive-minded kind of game then. Could be. It also could be a thing where it, – that's a possibility because last week Nevada lost 27-0 to Iowa, which was a weird game. And the second half doesn't really count, in my opinion. But then, remember, Air Force lost to Wyoming and they only scored 14 points. So I, it's weird. I, why do you, why did you think it's set up as maybe a low-scoring game? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure Air Force is going to win. They have the better offense. Their defense – 
only gave up 17 points versus Wyoming, but Nevada's offense isn't great. They have like Tua Tawa and a couple of guys out there. Like if you want Illinois, see if he's still the starter, whoever they put it, roll out a quarterback. But I don't see why it would be too low score unless the Air Force just has those long methodical drives and scores like 24 points in the game. So here's, here's the thing that I think about, which is something that like, even though Nevada has, has sort of backslid a little bit over the last couple of weeks against Incarnate Ward in Iowa, one thing that they have continued to do pretty well, which I think is going to make a major difference in a game, you know, against an offense like the Falcons mm-hmm. is they've continued to defend the run pretty well. You know, on the season, without adjusting for sacks, they're giving up about three and a half yards per carry, 3.55 overall. But even in their two recent losses, it's not like the Cardinals and the Hawkeyes were necessarily like ripping them to shreds. It was a lot of like boom and bust, I think you would say, especially in that UIW game. Yeah. But over the last two weeks, they've still given up, you know, about four, you know, 4.77 against Incarnate Word, 4.63 against Iowa and it's in, it's easy to overlook that the Wolfpack are number one in the conference in terms of tackles per loss. You know, Dom Peterson is having a very strong year so far. He has five and a half TFLs, mm-hmm. but they've been getting a lot of help from, you know, basically everybody that's been seeing a, a, a reasonable amount of playing time in that front seven, you know, Drew Watts has three tackles for loss Marcel Walker has a couple tackles for loss. So he's Maurice Wilmer. Dion Washington in the middle has two tackles for loss. And that is, that is something like you, you can't necessarily point to. I mean, they did have a very big game against Texas State in that regard, but they have been mostly consistent about their presence as far as being able to generate at least a little bit of havoc. And so, you know, I can sort of envision this game as being one where you know, both offenses are going to be happy to limit possessions, chew up clock, and lean on their ground game. But I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, Nevada has been pretty decent about defending the run, all things considered. And I think one thing that really sort of illustrates that point more than anything, in addition to the tackles for loss number, is that, you know, according to Parker Fleming at Stats O War on Twitter, um, Nevada's defensive success rate in terms of like defending the run is is 26%. And through four games, that's 11th nationally. And when you compare that to what Air Force has done on the ground, obviously, you know, we, we know that they're going to run the ball more than just about anybody else in the country. But I think it, exactly. it, it, it bears in mind that, you know, they're only, I mean, I, I say only, but they're 30 <laughs> in terms of, you know, expected points added per rush. Offensive success rate on the ground they're 40th overall nationally, 45.2%. So they're good. But I think Wyoming sort of laid out the blueprint for how they might be able to slow them down. And I think you know what really made the difference in the first two weeks versus last week against the Cowboys is big plays on the ground where, you know, Brad Roberts had a decent game. And, and John Lee Eldridge, who's, you know, now basically, I would say, the lead tailback, he, he had a pretty good game as well. Mm-hmm. but they didn't have the same number of explosive type plays against Wyoming that they did in the two weeks prior against Colorado and Northern Iowa. And I think that if you look at what Nevada has done on that front, you know, they've seen a, a, a pretty good number of, you know, carries on the year. I think they're definitely like above average in terms of rushing attempts per game faced so far, but they've only given up to this point, you know, 11 
carries 11 plays of 10 yards or more on the ground and only five of 20 or more yards. And so I think that, you know, if I'm looking at this Nevada defense, I'm inclined to believe that they might be able to put up a performance that approaches what Wyoming did last week in terms of like limiting big plays and generating havoc. Yeah, because the bigger at... question is, what is the Nevada offense going to do against this yeah. Falcons defense? Before we get to that, like Nevada more yards per rushing allowed is better than Wyoming three five five to three six nine. Yeah, which is so they're pretty pretty comparable in that front. If you want to look at kind of from what Wyoming did last week versus Air Force, but if Nevada mentioned boom or bust, like if if Air Force gets booms running the ground, the game's over because getting Air Force getting two hundred fifty three hundred yards. They're going to get yards for the most part. Almost any team they play, they'll get the yardage. It depends how many eight-yard runs they're going to get, how many 10-yard, mm-hmm. 15-yard runs. And from what we described about it, it doesn't really give up too many of those big-time runs. But also, it's a different offense they faced compared to Incarnate Word, Iowa, New Mexico State, and uh forget their opener. But the those couple of teams they play, nobody obviously, basically nobody's faced from the bad defense this type of option offense. Exactly. So that's kind of the key, yeah. like, is just to, yeah, the good yards likely will be there. But it's the what's the yards per play? Not even yards per play, but the big plays, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. like a hundred. They've given up 107 yards per game, but also we know that's clearly a different offense that they're going to going up against. So that's a yeah. It, it's just something to look out for as well. Given the yards, it's going to happen for the most part, but don't give up those big 20 plus yard plays if you're going to try to win. Well, and I think equally important to that is the fact that Nevada has by and large sort of struggled on third downs in particular. You know, their their third down conversion rate allowed isn't altogether different from where it was in 2021 to this point. You know, last year they finished seventh overall in the Mountain West on defense in, ter- in terms of giving up third down conversions. It was about 38.7 well, right now. Not, now. <laughs> not by much. And, and it's, and again, small sample size. But I think it is worth keeping in mind yet that on defense, Nevada has given up 43.6% of third downs to opponents. And as you might expect, that's an area where Air Force has excelled. Yep. And that, you know, that includes the Wyoming game. 30%. Where given they, up. You know, they're number one in the Mountain West in terms of third down conversion rates on offense, 47.2%. Air Force so is? Not, you mean? So it's not going to be enough to just generate havoc. Like even if Air Force is getting like three or four yards per drive, that still means, or excuse me, per play, that still means that they're likely or, or that they, they may give themselves numerous chances to convert on third and short. And Nevada has to do a better job of winning in those situations than they have been in the, in the early season. So looking like the third down rate's interesting because you mentioned who does what defensively. That's gonna be a big third down's always a big key, but if you're not if you're stopping it, that's clearly a much better situation. But let's go to yeah. the Nevada offense. We kind of bounced around to there. I, whose depth chart still mentions Nate Cox as the or with Shane Illingworth? Nate Cox didn't play last week, but he played Shane Illingworth did. But Nate Cox played the week before. It looks like they're with a Jane Orvell. and oh, we got also you should mention a transfer in a moment here. But who? What they get? Are they have they found the guy? Because they've been rotating out after the Texas State game, they rotated. And Shane Illingworth had more attempts in the Texas State game, played more snaps as well. 13 pass could attempts that game in their victory. So, so it came out yesterday, actually, oh, according to oh, Nevada Sportsnet. 
and, and Chris Murray in particular, where they they got an explanation from Ken Wilson about why Nate Cox didn't play in that game. Ah, I missed that. And that's because that's because he was injured. Mm, okay. And so the so from a couple of days ago, um, you know, no starter, of course, has been announced, but I think it is likely that Cox will at least be back in the mix. Mm. And I have to think, you know, based on what he's done so far. Like if I were Wilson and I were making that decision at this juncture, I would probably choose Cox as the starter. I think that he's shown a little more, not in terms, not only in terms of his ability to throw the ball, but he's also been, I would say, by and large, a net positive as far as like you know pitching in here and there on the ground as well. And that is has really been sort of the heart of the Nevada offense is just you know ground and pound in a way that we haven't seen them do in a while. Because they could, Cox has helped them do that a little bit more. Yeah, because he has rushing. Let's see, he has 81 yards on 27 attempts, which is whatever, not including sack yards. He um actually did get in the game. He's had a few Iowa. nice runs. Let's put yeah, it that he, way. He actually did play one, one at least one snap for Iowa. He had one attempt for two yards. So I guess mm-hmm. he did get in for a half a second. I didn't stay up to watch that game, so that's the final snap. Apologies to Nate Cox for being seen in four games this year. Yeah, it, it's fine. And if you had Devontae Lee, Dante Lee, you have Toitawa, it brings another mix of the offense. So he brings a little bit more dynamic. But also the Incarnate Word game, he played – he had a lot of yards. His percentage wasn't great. He got sacked six times. So the sacks could be an issue potentially if they want to throw more. Because I know they had to throw 43 times, but still, you don't want to deal with that type of stuff, getting mm-hmm. your brain, brain bashed in. I don't I, – I, I guarantee both will play. That makes the most sense, right? He haven't in the last couple of weeks though, because Illingworth didn't play at all a couple of weeks ago against against UIW. Well, that's true. I mean, yeah, but I mean, so because if I, he's coming back from injury, maybe whatever unspecified I injury. I think that they're leaning towards making a permanent decision, and I think that this this game is going to be really instructive because I wonder if if that coaching staff, if like offensive coordinator Derek Sage, is wondering who is going to be able to take the most advantage of this Falcons secondary in the same way that Wyoming did last week. So in other words, you know, like the the Cowboys didn't necessarily put up a ton of explosive plays through the air. But I think of the four games that we've seen the Wolfpack play so far, Cox has been the one to, I would say, engineer most of that explosiveness through the air. And so I, I sort of think about it in those terms, which again, isn't really saying, I mean, maybe it doesn't say much, but I was just, I was curious, so I looked it up just now. Through four games, Shane Illingworth has just one pass play of over 20 yards. Nick Cox has seven of them, which is as yeah. many, if you want to put that in context, as many as Hank Bachmeyer. Matt, it's because Nate Cox is tall, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> he could throw it over but, those but guys. I, <laughs> but I think that there's an opportunity there for Nevada to really sort of cut forth its best foot on offense, which... Yeah, you know, we've really only seen them fire on all cylinders in the one game against Incarnate Word. You know, they were sort of building towards that in the first two weeks. And then I think last week against Iowa, with you know, given the elements, given the delays, I don't really know how much you could take away from that. But I think I think Cox gives them the best chance to attack down the field and and really let these Nevada wide receivers who haven't really had much opportunity to to you know, run yards after the catch wise, or, or you know, attack down the field. I think he gives them the best opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So what? How's Air Force going to re- rebound? Do you think just because they got like we didn't think Wyoming was all that good, but they've sh- they've shown a lot what's going on and getting better. Winning that game, which because they're a huge underdog in that matchup last week, and they've kept their winning streak alive in at Laramie versus the Falcons. Mm-hmm. So what is like Air Force like? How are they going to come back? Like okay, we're going to play Nevada team who. I think what we've seen, they have potential to be dangerous just because what we described, Nate Cox, what they put up lots of points. Like, okay, they beat Texas State and, and New Mexico State. They put up a lot of points for Incarnate Word. I just wonder what Air Force could to come back because it's back at home. I think they'll be fine. I, I got to imagine they want to get running that ball a bit better because they didn't run extremely well last week. And this could be another tough challenge. And the passing game, they, what, they threw 10, 12 times last week, a few, a few too many, but typically they should. I think they got to do what they normally do. Like they're not going to go away from the game plan by any stretch map that far part, but can they get past Don Peterson? Can he get past the other guys on the ground? And cause they're, like you said, they're facing a, almost a similar defense in what's allowed production wise compared to last week. And it's going to be, I'm just wondering how they'll respond after losing that type of game where people thought, Oh, they crushed Colorado, even though they're like one of the worst teams in all football, they're undefeated at that point they're winning games. And now they're like, Ooh, all in one on the road conference plays going to be a slog. So here's one thing that I think is worth watching because it, and it sort of got overlooked and I don't think we discussed, we discussed it in, explicitly last week, but they didn't play with Dane Kinnevin or, or DeAndre Hughes last week against we Wyoming. Why? So did, did we figure out why I haven't seen anything about it? I, yeah. I was sort of looking into it and I noticed I was you know, because Kinnevin has been one of those guys where, you know, even though he's had really limited touches this year, I think what he has been able to contribute to that offense is is one of those things that definitely goes beyond the stat sheet. You know, everybody, of course, remembers the big touchdown run that he had in the opener against the Panthers. Mm-hmm. But he had a, a few nice runs against Colorado as well. And that sort of end-around wide receiver element to the offense was non-existent against the Cowboys. And so I think, you know, if he is back to 100% and, and can play well enough, you know, that extra element to that offense in, in, in addition to, you know, getting Brad Roberts back on track and, and continuing to keep Eldridge the third involved in the offense. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, not only does he add that extra sort of explosive element, I think it's worth noting too, you know, Pro Football Focus put this out, you know, a couple of days ago. He's also maybe the best blocking wide receiver anywhere in the country. You know, in terms of run blocking grades, 97.1, which mm. is is better than any offensive lineman in the country. 
And and that's not necessarily like unique to Kinnaman. I believe if memory serves that Ben Jefferson was was similarly effective in run blocking last year. But that is something that I think, you know, if he is back, you know, that's one of those really subtle elements of the game that he can make a massive impact in in terms of his ability to run block and and really, you know, help Eldridge the third and Daniels, you know, get to the edge of the line of scrimmage and things like that. And his ability to stretch the field in sort of that Micah Davis way that they were able to take advantage of last year. All right, let's move on here. What's the predict- advantage for the Bristol State for this matchup? So SP Plus likes Air Force by a lot. They give them a 90% win probability projected margin of 22.2 points. Um, FBI also likes the Falcons. Not quite as much, though, but they do favor them by 10.2 Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Falcons a 97.31 win probability, mm. a projected margin of roughly 38 to 11. Just so other people know, I have stats too here. Pick center at ESPN.com. Mm-hmm. Predict uh, 34 to 11.4 in Air Force. Or if you want to put a few bucks on this game and you want to pick Air Force straight up, I don't know why you would. It's minus 4,000. So yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> because you want to win a nickel? Sure, go for it. <laughs> Uh, this yeah, Air Force is going to win. I'm just a little confused, not confused, but co- slightly concerned from maybe Wyoming's better. It's not a concern, but I want to see a little bit more from both teams. But I think Air Force is going to win. I think the 24 was it 24 and a half, 24 is a bit too much. Currently, 24 as of as of recording. So I think it'll be a 31 13. They'll win comfortably, but I think Nevada will figure a little something out. I think it'll be a little bit closer than that. I do think that Nevada is going to show pretty strongly. I think, you know, even if it becomes a game of sort of limited possessions that the Wolfpack, uh, I think are good enough on defense to keep the Falcons from running wild in the same way that they did in the first couple of weeks. I just don't know if they have enough answers on offense. Mm. I see. So I'm going to take Nevada and the points, but I'm going to take air force to win outright 30 to 17. Okay. Next game hour later, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Mountain time. A new tap, El Paso. Second straight week, we're playing the Miners within the conference. Boise State traveling to face an old whack opponent they used to play years ago. CBS uh-huh. Sports Network only maps 15 and a half points for Boise State. Um, didn't New Mexico beat them by, what they beat them by? Like, by it was 27 Seven. to 10. Last yeah, week. I was thinking of the UT Martin game, that's 30 to 13. I'm like, so if New Mexico could win by that many points, and then Boise State is, if I'm correct, Matt, are they better than New Mexico? I think that's safe to say. Because they beat New Mexico. Um, probably so, yeah. a little bit, yeah. Well, they beat them, so yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But this matchup, we saw the Miners last week. Um, but Boise State, the big thing we saw from the UT Martin was, can they get their ding offensive line together? That's all I care about for this team. Offensive line and can George Lonnie do a good job, which I'm always day to day now at this point. I'm never taking it for granted that he'll be good because there's always some lingering issue, whether he's doing well or not well, or vice versa with that offensive line. And Boise State is still yet to find a uh, legit receiver to uh, be that guy out there. But maybe UTEP can cure all that type of stuff when you're playing a not great team. Well, and that's really the rub, isn't it? And yeah. I think that is why the line is set the way that it is, because other than getting blown out by Oklahoma, which I don't think that's something that really surprises anybody, or it probably shouldn't surprise our listeners. No. UTEP is 
still been pretty decent. I mean, like the final scores are sort of deceptive in a way, but yeah. one thing that they've done reasonably well is defend the run. You know, if, if you throw out, or even if you include the Oklahoma game, you know, they've given up about 4.8, 4.9 yards per carry. If you remove that Oklahoma game, though, you know, they've given up roughly four yards of carry in two of their three contests, which I think is not necessarily nothing, let's say. You know, like, in their, I was able to find this split. I'm glad the CFP stats had this. Against non-Power 5 opponents, they've given up 4.2 yards per carry. Okay. And on top of that, they're also number one in Conference USA right now in terms of, you know, team tackles for loss. You know, they've, they've averaged, you know, about seven TFLs per game, you know, 29 altogether. So it's not like that front seven, in, you know, that defensive line has, has gotten any worse. Let's put it that way. I think the real surprise and the, and the real wrinkle that the Broncos are going to have to contend with in this game is that the linebackers have been much more active in that regard than they were last year. You know, Tyrese Knight has continued to be very productive, you know, four, four TFLs in four games. But next to him in the, you know, at middle linebacker, Cal Wallerstedt is a guy that has really become someone to watch. You know, he's number one in, in the conference in terms of TFLs five and a half by himself. And he's also put up three sacks in the early going as well. So there's plenty of talent in that front seven, you know, not only Knight Wallerstep, but, you know, praise on off to a decent start, you know, Jadrian Taylor, Keenan Stewart, all those guys can make plays. And as you said, it's not like Boise state's offensive line is that much better than some of the teams that UTEP has faced to this point. It's not like they're that much better than New Mexico or North Texas. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And that's so the big it thing. easily devolve into the kind of game that just becomes a, more of a headache to watch. Same, same as it has most weeks so far this year. Yeah, I chatted with um, our good friend. And so he's, we've chatted over the years with Adrian uh, Brodus. So he does stuff with now ESPN El Paso. He's like uh defense. They have a couple of notes. He put him, I sent him some messages about what's going on defensively. He says, they're, like you mentioned, they're solid. Their best player defense could be Louisiana transfer uh, Kobe Hilton. Who's one mm-hmm. of the great defenders out there? Also, have a praised Amawahe, one of the most talented guys out there. Yeah, defense. Amawahe, yeah, yeah Amawahe, yeah. So he mentioned a couple of guys. Offense, he's like they have no identity and they struggled. It, hold on, let me say exactly what he put here. They have zero identity and struggle to do the basic things right. That's not good for offense. That you want to hear? Yeah, right? I mean, what what I have seen from the Miners' offense is they have they have tried to do more or less what they what made them successful last year, which was running the football. And attacking attacking vertically. Problem is, it just hasn't worked out the same way that it did last year because they don't have the same kind of talents they did last year. I think they are really missing Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett. Of course, because you know what you, what, they, what they did last year was that you know they were fifth in Conference USA. They averaged right around six yards per play. This year, they're averaging four point six seven yards per play. So they've really fallen off in that regard, and. I think most of that, I would say, has fallen. I mean, I guess there really is no one person you can blame it on. Because, you know, the ground game, other than Ronald Awat, hasn't really been as effective. Like, you know, Awat is only averaging 4.3 yards per carry after averaging about five and a half last year. So I think he's fallen off by about a yard per carry. 
Same with Gavin Hardison, the quarterback, where he wasn't necessarily the most efficient guy last year. Like his completion rate was only 55%, but he made up for that by averaging nine yards per attempt. This year, he doesn't have either of those. You know, his completion rate is down to 48.8%, and his yards per attempt have fallen from nine to 6.1. And, and, you know, facing a team like Oklahoma can't necessarily explain all of that away. You know, he just hasn't been very good overall. And I think that, you know, for a Boise State defense that has been playing, you know, I would say other than the Oregon State game, you know, they really bounced back and played stellar football over the last couple of weeks. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. And I think if there's one thing that Boise State fans can feel good about, I really don't see a path where UTEP all of a sudden discovers enough explosiveness to hang around in this game. I think that, you know, even if the offense scuffles here and there, the defense should be good enough and, and effective enough and opportunistic enough to really slam the door early uh, relative to what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think if it's going to be close, it's because the UTEP defense can exploit the offensive line of Boy State that was still TBD. I think Bogomar mm-hmm. hasn't been super impressive this year, but I think it'll be struggling them to score points. That's going to be the main issue with, like we've kind of mentioned, like losing Crowing and other guys to the portal. Like he's Arizona doing a great job catching passes from another transfer they probably have from somewhere out, somewhere in the country. But mm-hmm. that's what that's my take on this. what's going to happen most likely. Like, yeah, UTEP will make some plays. Unless they say like a short field, pick six, hold Boise to field goals, then they can keep it close. But I expect a similar result with looking back at Boise State and playing UTEP, or excuse me, UT Martin in New Mexico, where they won fine, 20 points, 17 points, nothing outrageous, not a blowout. But it'll be a game kind of we're keeping an eye on, like, oh, it's a 10 to 3 at the quarter. It's a 13 to 9 at halftime. And they end up winning maybe like 31 to 13 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I could see that how it plays out. UTEP's offense will just slowly disintegrate and can't do much of anything. But I just want to see what I, what I want to see is that Boise's offense can, yeah, do it against UT Martin and Boise State fine, but we still won't know anything after this game because, again, that's what I mentioned like a month ago. They're playing New Mexico, UTEP, UT Martin. They got San Diego State, Fresno. We still won't know who will be, be the best guy. We know it's going to be Brock Mar. He's going to keep the job, which, fine, he's doing okay, but there's no reason to not have him play just because they can roll whoever they want. Think of a George Lani at quarterback and win this game. Like have him be the wildcat the whole time and not have an issue for the most part in this mm-hmm. matchup. So that's nothing's gonna be resolved the quarterback front until they maybe when they play San Diego State and they possibly struggle against that team, which is not looking great either. But I just want to see the offense take a step up and do it more than against an FCS team, but this team's not that much better than that. But the defense will provide enough resistance where if they do go well and put up good yardage and allow a few sacks in this game and Holani runs well and they find some receivers, then there'll be some positive. That's what Boise should be trying to do this game. And if they could do that, I'll, I'll kind of hop back on and say, okay, they have a, not that they don't have a chance, but I feel more comfortable when they play better teams. Yeah. I mean, Boise has got to, they've got to finish drives. Yeah. I think more so than anything, which, you know, relative, to, I mean, and again, small sample size caveats apply here, but that's something in which they have really struggled relative you know, I guess relative to last year in general, but they weren't especially good about scoring touchdowns in the red zone last year either. You know, they were eighth in, you know, in terms of touchdown percentage in the red zone, 54.7%. Mm-hmm. This year, 
they're right about the same. Seven touchdowns and 13 tries. It's 58.9, or excuse me, 53.9%. And, and in terms of points per drive, I think it's noteworthy to point out that, you know, again, through three games, there's still a hundredth in points per drive right now. 1.52. Their saving grace is that UTEP has been even worse at <laughs> that same metric. Uh, one, exactly. 1.3, which is 112th nationally. So, like, long story short, like, when in doubt, I say put your trust in the best unit on the field. And in this particular case, that's the Broncos' defense. Okay. So what's the advanced numbers here for this matchup? So, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, they all favor Boise State by uh, relatively big margins. You sure about that? Um, (laughs) I am reasonably sure. Yeah. You you can Uh, read what they put out there online, yes. SB Plus uh, likes Boise State, the 88% win probability, projected margin of 20.3 points. Mm -hmm. Um, FEI also likes the Broncos by 26.2 Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Broncos a 93.76% win probability, projected margin of about 31 to 10. What's your score projection? I've got them right in that neighborhood. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the most exciting game of the night, but I do think the Broncos should win this one pretty comfortably 30 to 13. 30 to 13. Yeah, I think I'm going to go 34 13. So kind of in that same neighborhood where they win by more than that two touchdowns. So, all right, on to Saturday, one thirty local, or excuse me, one thirty for me, Mountain Time, twelve thirty local, Snapdragon Stadium. Only fifteen bucks to go to the game, Matt. They face Toledo Rockets, who are two and one on FS1 as well. Toledo is a road favorite over San Diego State. Interesting. <sighs> how surprised were? You, yeah, how surprised were you when you saw that? I mean. I wonder if I wonder if they are maybe hedging with regards to San Diego State's offensive struggles. <laughs> but at the same time, what? they struggle on offense. This is news to me. They do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no, I said it forever. Quarterback situation. We'll get to that in a minute. But continue your thought. But I think you know another thing to keep in mind is that I, I don't know. It's Toledo hasn't been quite as strong as I thought they would be out the gate. But I do wonder like how much of that has to do with, you know, the, the, the slate of competition that they have played to this point. So if you haven't paid attention at all to the Rockets, um, their first three opponents were Long Island University. So FCS, UMass, and Ohio State. Yeah. So. Bunch of blowouts. Yeah. So if you look at, what they did in, in terms of like the aggregate, I don't know that you're necessarily going to learn that much, you know, in terms of like yards per play, for instance, you know, they're, they're averaging, you know, 5.4 yards per play allowed on defense, let's say, which sure. I thought was going to be the strength of, of this team coming into the year. So on the whole, that's third in the, in the Mac. So you might think, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. Right. But you look at the game by game, and it's and it paints sort of a different story where like against LIU 1.9 yards per play allowed against UMass 3.5 against Ohio State 9.8. Hmm. And so I I wonder, you know, if San Diego State fans look at this type of game and think to yourself, 
okay, if we're going to get back to basics in the same way that we did, that, you know, that it, I think most especially made us successful against Idaho State, are we, are we going to be closer to that Ohio State type of production or are we going to be closer to that UMass type of production? And I think getting Chance Bell back, assuming he's back from injury, is really only going to be able to help in that regard. But again, you know, that running game is only going to take them so far if they aren't as explosive as they were against ISU in particular. Like if they fall back into that same kind of boomer bust pattern where, you know, maybe they weren't you know, getting slightly big runs against Arizona, but they didn't get enough of them and they were held up at the line of scrimmage just as often. I think that's where you start looking at this game to think, okay, well, if San Diego State's going to, you know, do what it does, like how well exactly is that going to work against this defense? But I think that's sort of like, uh, you know, you just look at the numbers. I just don't know how well that's going to work. Yeah, they... I don't know, because, again, we don't know what this Toledo team is going to do. Like, this is a real more level opponent. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, this yeah basically... it is. And th- there's a lot in common. I mean, I I saw these two teams as having a lot in common coming into the year, where I thought mm-hmm. that, you know, both teams, I think, have uh, on paper what could be very good defensive lines. And I think other than the Ohio State game, where they only had two TFLs in this, or in that matchup, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of reason to think that the Rockets can't make a lot of hay against this Aztecs offensive line, which is really scuffled more often than not. You know, D- uh, Deswan Johnson, for instance, you know, their senior defensive tackle has four and a half TFLs. You know, he against, you know, guys like Alama Uwave, Kate Bennett, Russell Uvella Masiuli, those guys on the interior. Like if, if Johnson gets in there and makes hay, that's going to be a nightmare scenario for this Aztecs offense. And he's got company up front too. You know, Jamal Hines is still around. He has two and a half TFLs at the outside linebacker position. You know, Terrence Taylor is still productive, Deontay Johnson. So like they can attack in much the same way that San Diego State themselves attacks on defense. And so if it ends up being the same kind of, you know, field position, offensive inefficiency type of game, that you know San Diego State has sort of fallen into, I think, particularly against their power five opponents, then what is the defense going to do to respond? And that I think has been more of an uncertainty than either of us would have expected in the early part of the season. Yeah, you think the Aztec defense would be a good thing, but it's another play detail they got their butt kicked. <laughs> like Yeah, uh... I think it's really instructive to look at you know, the, the defense in terms of like Parker Fleming's advanced stats previews in particular. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because if you, if you look at defensive, you know, first downs percentage, for instance, so like how often teams are earning first downs on first and second downs against these defenses. I think one thing that's sort of instructive to this game is the fact that both defenses have at least been pretty good in that regard. San Diego state has only given up, you know, 61% of the of their first downs on first and second down. That's 25th nationally. Toledo is 32nd. And so I could easily see this as being the kind of game where it, it sort of becomes a, a phone booth fight kind of, kind of game <laughs> where, if, you know, neither, neither offense can get anything going. The defense asserts themselves. And in that case, it may just come down to field position and whichever defense can create a break for themselves. Yeah, let me read you something from... Offensive coordinator Jeff 
Eklinski from San Diego State. And note when you tell me where, why this comes up. He says this. Actually, no. Let me tell you what it says, and then I'll tell you where he said it and who he told it to. He told a group of people that they would see an offense they've never seen before at San Diego State. Do you want to take a guess who he told that to a few months ago? Well, you know, to his credit, he didn't say when exactly. <laughs> um, a bunch of boosters at some meeting or a kickoff luncheon. <laughs> so, of course, you're going to hype it up. So, I got another quick question for you. Another, see if you can answer this. Aztecs aren't throwing the ball very well, which is even worse than normal. They are 129th in FBS. What only there's two teams ahead of them, obviously, because there's one or behind them. There's only 131 in FBS. They're 129. Can you name the, either of those teams? And only and one of them is not in the an academy for passing yards. Oh, so one of them is not an academy. So yeah. I'm assuming one of them is. In that yeah. in that case, one of them is probably Navy. Nope. Really? They're only ahead is- of. Well, go ahead. You want to take one more quick guess of a. Uh, Either. No, no, no. I'm just. I'm going to let you answer that for me. Air Force, okay, and then okay. UMass. So they're behind Navy and Army, who throw the ball in yards per game. They're behind Charlotte, who is just dreadful in everything in college football this year. They're behind newly FBS team James Madison, who's kicking butt in the uh, Sun Belt, I believe. They're be- behind name another team that's not very good at the moment in college football. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Also, they lost Will Haskell to Portal, who left this week because he got benched for third-string quarterback. He came in for Utah when... um, uh, Brum, Brumsville got the, uh, or Burmeister, excuse me, got, um, I was mixing Doug Brumfield and Braxton Burmeister together for some reason. Mm-hmm. He got poked in the eye and had to leave the game and he did not play well. So he's out of there. So they're down a the quarterback, but Burmeister is expected to the start. But this offense, like, I don't, like, like I said last week, I don't blame these players. I blame the offensive coordinator who's not willing to allow them to pass the ball. And you don't throw the ball when you don't have your main running back last week against a team, Utah, who, they're kind of similar, as I mentioned, but Utah's advanced a little bit, at least with the tight end to throw the ball better. It's like you got to throw the ball. It's like I don't understand. you got to try. They're not even trying to throw it. And when they do, it's bad play calling or not getting to, like we mentioned, Jesse Matthews, a really good running or to me receiver who will probably be in the NFL next year, but get drafted too low just because he has like 45 catches for the season, gets like three, three to four catches a game if he's lucky. This is more of an OC thing than a player. More, I put that the number one situation or number one issue to why their offense doesn't play well, not necessarily who they have running the plays. It's who's calling the plays and what type of plays you want to do. Because look at, and I mentioned a million times, look at schools that let the defense or offense like you take over, like Utah's finally done it. Call what did him mentioned a million times. You look at maybe like Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach, those type of coaches, like go oh, defensive guys, go do your thing, and I'll and. I'll take care of offense or defense. And then the other side of the ball, they don't, they kind of ignore a little bit, but just like, give me the base plan. Brady Hoax is a defensive guy, defense line coach. You got to let your OC just do something called plays. And they're not, they're being super too conservative because when they don't run the ball well, they're screwed and not a very good team. Case in point, I just want to remind everybody that last year, in terms of available yards percentage per drive on offense, San Diego State 
was 115th nationally. So on, you know, on their average drive, they earned 37.9% of the yards available to them. This year, they are 123rd nationally. And through three games, they are only earning 25.1% of their available yards per drive. Mm. It's not good. No. And it may not get better against this Toledo defense. They were 97th two years ago in total offense, 104th last year, and right now they're 116th in total offense. Yeah, and and oh by the way, they're also in terms of SP plus, they're also 109th by offensive SP plus as well. So that's why I think it's really going to come down to how well this defense can bottle up the Toledo offense, because at least the Rockets can move the ball a little bit. And that's something that the Aztecs are going to have to contend with. Like, I don't know that they are necessarily as proficient or prolific as, as Arizona and Utah have, have shown themselves to be more often than not, but they do sort of occupy that similar kind of, uh, I guess it is mostly like a ground and pound type of offense. They haven't been quite as effective at it though, because their leading rusher through three games is their quarterback, Dequan Finn. Who, you know, 26 carries, but he's averaging eight yards a carry and also leads the team with four touchdowns. You know, other than that, you know, they have this quartet of running backs that they're running out there, which coincidentally, so do the Aztecs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Penny, Penny Boone, Jacques Stewart, Willie Shaw, Micah Kelly. Three of those guys are averaging under four and a half yards per carry. So I think that there is an opportunity there for the Aztecs to really assert themselves in terms of like generating havoc, getting into the backfield, putting Toledo into a lot of third and long situations. But I think it it is also just as likely that Toledo can sort of bounce back from their performance against Ohio State last week because, you know, they put up five yards per carry against LIU. They put up over six yards per carry against UMass. And so, like, I guess the question is, like, where does San Diego State sort of fall on that spectrum between UMass and Ohio State? Like, are they are they going to be good enough mm-hmm. to keep the clamps on the Rockets' ground attack? Well, I do know passing; they're ahead of UMass by one spot, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, or are they going to be able to? You know, or, or are they going to struggle in that regard? Because you know, Finn, you know, like, he hasn't been like a great passer so far. You know, he completed under 50% of his throws against UMass. It's hard to tell, and, too. It's, it's opponents. But, that's but that's it a good also, telling sign, though. Telling sign. For but students. it is also important to keep in mind that, like, you know, yeah, they got blown out by Ohio State, but they yeah. also put up 21 points on Ohio State. And it wasn't He's like a, those were garbage time points either. Finn had two passing touchdowns in that game. Yeah, he has only been and sacked that, four times, only two interceptions. So he's the percentage is so like, concerning UMass, but the other stuff, it's not terrible, but it's not awesome. So if you're asking yourself, okay, who has the best quarterback in this game? The answer is very clearly Toledo. It's always – no, it's always the other quarterback for San Diego State. Every team they play, it's always the other quarterback. <laughs> and so that's why – you know, that's why there's, you know, something to keep in mind there. We're like, you know, at least we know the Toledo passing game is functional here and there. And and they also have a guy who is willing to, you know, you know, go down and get it down the field too. Jerwan Newton. Mm-hmm. About to um, mention that. You know, 10 catches, 202 yards. Yes, that's 20 yards per catch and two touchdowns. They have four guys who get 15 or more yards per catch. Yeah, and, and Newton had a pretty decent game. He had two catches for 42 yards last week against the Buckeyes, and mm-hmm. including one of those touchdowns. So 
like he's one of those guys, and it was really an interesting stat that you know Parker Fleming put out there. He's one of seven FBS receivers so far with an average depth of target of over 20 yards. It's pretty good. So they haven't been shy about taking shots down the field with him in particular. And against an Aztecs offense that is struggling as much as it has been, all it might take is one big play to sw- either to swing field position, to find the end zone, or you know just put Toledo in a position to, you know, maybe they're in the red zone or something like that. And to just get points on a drive where they may not, where they may have been sort of muddled in midfield or something like that. So there's a lot of ways where this could go wrong for San Diego State. And I would say fewer ways where, you know, if everything breaks their way, that they could win this game. So it's sort of like walking a tightrope, I guess you might say. So what do the advanced numbers say in this one? So SP Plus likes Toledo. They give them a 58% win probability. Uh, projected margin of 3.6 points. FBI also likes Toledo. Very slim margin there as well. Uh, only two points. Um, and Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, uh, gives Toledo a 61.75% win probability, projected margin of about 22 to 19. That's it. Three points. Uh, that's a close game. What do you say? Like, what's your. I, I think it's going to be a rock fight. Yeah, like I said, the phone booth was the best. Uh, yeah, the phone booth. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you and probably some of our listeners saw that that video that came out. It was like a week ago or something like that. I'm trying to remember what was it? Maybe. Anyway, I will um, pass. I'll look for it later. Uh, I'll go. My do you think? Oh yeah, go for it. I'll go for it first. You've been going first because I didn't. I copy your numbers sometimes. I don't know, man. I I'm wondering, like. If Aztecs lose this game, there's some problems going forward. They're not favorites, so it wouldn't be technically an upset. They're at home in a three-point underdog. They have they go to Boise State next week, Hawaii, whatever, Nevada. I just think there's the offense is just so bad. I'm going Toledo to win outright in this game. Twenty to thirteen. They're gonna win by a touchdown. Aztecs are not good. Sorry. I like Toledo to win too. I think they're going to win by two touchdowns, though. Oh, two touchdowns? Yikes. Like, where are the offense? Where's where's the offense for this Aztecs team? I'm going to say 28 to 10. It left in the bowl game versus UTSA last year. That's where it's at. Apparently so. (laughs) Or or it's at Montana with Lucas Johnson, whoever else transferred. So, all right. Final game for this part one preview. Sac State, CSU. This is a uh, Mount West Network game. So go to yeah, locally. It is also being broadcast again on the Evoca network. So Man. just keep that in mind if you were in the Fort Collins area. Did you see who's the sideline reporter for this game? Justin Michael over there Our at DNVR. Heck yeah, go watch the game if you, to see what he has to say because he's doing a great job and all that type of stuff covering the Rams forever. So check that out. Uh, there is no line in the game, but uh, Sac State is undefeated. There we've talked about them in our FCS minute preview way back in the day. They beat up on Utah Tech, formerly Dixie State, beat Northern Iowa by two touchdowns, 16.2. Air Force crushed earlier this year. But the Rams have another issue, another transfer from them. I mentioned transfer Nevada, but I got it mixed up because Mark Malky Stovall was at Nevada, now at CSU, now mm-hmm. leaving, despite basically, not basically, by being their best receiver on the team. So he's gone for some reason. Um, also, did you see. Some random, I know it's bet. I forget what it is. What some random sports book 
put Norvell ten to one to not be the coach next year. I'm like, come on, he's not going anywhere. That's that's a little premature. Very. They're they're zero and three in the year, but this X eighteen like they have Ty, uh, not Tyra Taylor. Who's their coach? He's a former Utah OC. Um, Troy Taylor. Troy. I was gonna say Tyra Taylor, but that's a quarterback in the NFL. I think with the Giants, Troy Taylor. He's doing a pretty good job out there. And they have offenses scoring 40 points a game, 56 and 37. What's that, 90 points or something, 45 a game. They have mm-hmm. a solid solid running running game with uh, like Cameron Scadaboo. They pass the ball, complete it reasonably well, no interceptions on the year. So this is going to be a team where it's not going to roll over and push teams over. Sac State could legitimately win this game possibly the way the Rams have been going. With yeah, they're, they're, they're a top 10 team, aren't they? Uh, I'll check in a moment if you want to talk about something else real quick. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I really don't know where you start talking about this matchup just because Sacramento State is such a unique offense. Like, you know, you know how they have like the old axiom where they say if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Yeah. And and really, Sacramento State over the last year and a half, I guess you might say, because they definitely made it work last year when they when they made it to the FCS playoffs. But that quarterback tandem of Jake Dunaway and Asher O'Hara could yeah. very easily pose problems to this Colorado State defense. Because as you mentioned, like they've been able to take care of the football, you know, zero interceptions to this point. No mistakes. Um, you know, five touchdowns. They're averaging, you know, 232 yards, you know, through the air. But also like O'Hara and, and Scadaboo, like you mentioned, they've been sort of that one-two tandem on the ground as well. They haven't really run the ball all that much. And so, you know, you look at Scadaboo, you know, 263 yards, uh, 12 and a half yards per carry, probably not going to be the case. No. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, when you look down the line on a per carry basis of everybody who has seen action, which is basically like four guys, O'Hara, Scadaboo, Marcus Fulcher, mm-hmm. and Elijah Tao Tolliver, all four of those guys are averaging basically five and a half yards per carry or better. Also, we, they're number, number seven. It. Sorry, number seven in the country at the moment. So they thank are you for that. A top, yeah. So, and we haven't even talked about the fact that they also have one of the best tight ends on the FCS level, and Marshall Martin, who's off to a very good start this year. Eleven catches, one hundred and thirty-one yards, three touchdowns. You know, Pierre Williams is an asset at wide receiver. Although he only has six catches so far this year. Yeah, so the leading like, pass catcher is a running back, Marcus Vulture, who's doing quite well. More, more receiving than running, actually. They're, they, yeah. they did, whoever's open gets the ball essentially running, passing, QB, receiver, tight end. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, we, we talk all about the offense, but the defense could also pose problems too, in much the same ways that, you know, the Rams offense has really struggled, which more or less just comes down to can they protect Clay Millen? Oh, boy. And in this case, maybe I, I still don't know because the Hornets, you know, they're an FCS team. They're mostly known for their offense. But they've got some players on defense, too, who could definitely cause problems. You know, Ariel Nada has a couple of sacks so far this year. You know, Armin Bailey's finally back from injury. You know, injuries erased, I believe, most of his 2019 and all of his 2021. But, you know, he's finally in there. He has, you know, a fumble. He had a fumble recovery last week. He has a half a TFL. Uh, in the middle of that defense, Martin Mapu has a couple of interceptions. So, like, the, you know, the numbers don't necessarily jump off the stat sheet. But, you know, they've been opportunistic enough that, you know, even if Colorado State gains a little more traction, 
in terms of like their ability to move the ball a little more consistently. Like I'm going to, I'm going to say with some kind of confidence that they, I'm going to make a bet that they Mm. won't give up seven sacks again. Okay. That they'll be able to move the ball a little more efficiently. And in that case, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a matter of, okay, well, can they want to track me against this Hornets offense? And that I'm less certain about. Yeah. That's, that's a problem because if you ask me right now, legitimately, if I didn't like not looking things up, like who's a running back, who's leading the way for the Rams, it would take me a second, but it is Ajon Vivens who only has 76 mm-hmm. yards. They averaging, I know this includes sack yards, so it's not totally fair. 1.0 yard every time they rush the ball, but that includes minus 80 rushing yards mm-hmm. for Clay Millen. So you take that away. Let's say, let's say all those 80 yards, take away all the negative plays, technically 81 because Ty McCulloch has a minus one. They're at 190 rushing yards for the year. If you take away the negative uh, QB and one negative play by McCulloch, that mm-hmm. is not good. That is a hundred. Well, that's probably what, uh, 37, 70 something carries, 70 carries, like 190 yards. Not good at all. But even Vivens and Moro are only averaging about three one, three five each. Like they're not good. The best thing in the offense is Clay Millen, and the reason he's doing well, he has seventy completes almost seventy two percent of his passes because Norville knows he has to get rid of it quickly. Those screens and slants, but now he's out Stolval, who was excuse me second on the team in receiving. They already lost mm-hmm. Dante Wright earlier this year. They throw the ball okay, like it's all short stuff that can like Tory Horton can take it and go. He has four other five passing TDs, but. Unless they can protect him, I don't know what they're going to do offensively. But you're right. I think if it's a lowish scoring game, Rams have a really good chance. But if it's – look at Nevada and Carter Ward. If it gets to that type of game, the Rams might might be 0-4. I think if there's one saving grace, and and this there's a caveat that I don't have all of the context for this. It might be that this is sort of inflated by garbage time stats in the first couple of weeks. But through two games, Sacramento State has allowed – nearly eight and a half yards per attempt. You know, if you're just looking in terms of yards per game, which isn't always the most accurate measure of how effective someone is, but they're giving up 388 yards per game through the air so far. Well, I will say this, looking at the Northern Iowa game, they gave up 14 points in the second half, winning 37-21. They're mm-hmm. outscored 14 to 13. Utah Tech, they were outscored 23 to 21 second half, and majority of the points for both those teams or in the second half. So maybe a little bit, but fourth quarter, and I for you and I, zero points allowed, and mm-hmm. seven points allowed in the fourth quarter versus Utah Tech. So yeah, probably a little so, bit of both. Uh, there may be there may be a little bit of truth hidden somewhere in there. And I think that's I think that's sort of what I'm getting at is like that's mm-hmm. what Colorado State is sort of looking towards. You know, when they're looking, you know, because we know exactly what they're gonna do. They're gonna throw the ball early and often in the same way that they have. But I think it's going to be really paramount of them to try and stretch the field in the ways that they've tried to intermittently in the first few games. So I think that they will have more opportunity to do so. And I think that that could be a big opportunity, not just for you know someone like Tory Horton, who, despite the circumstances, has played pretty well in the early going. But I think it's also an opportunity for Ty McCulloch to finally have a big game. You know, Justice Ross Simmons, who scored his first touchdown last week, I would guess that he's going to see more playing time, that he'll probably get the start in this game. So, so. in that case, like, what is he going to do for an encore? I think there's going to be an opportunity there for this offense to take a step forward 
but they have to get more people involved, not just Horton, but, you know, guys like Ross Simmons, McCulloch, and, and the tight end Tanner Arkin, who's also been sort of a, a missing in action through the early well, part of the season. Well, losing Melquin Stovall, who has third, second in the team receiving yards, that's a big deal. So yeah. who's going to Those targets up? are going to have to go somewhere. Yeah, it could be Tanner Arkin. It could be a tight end. It could be one of the receivers because um, Norville doesn't go deep on the roster for wideouts, which is why Dante mm-hmm. Wright was a player. There's only been – Four receivers have caught a pass this year, and three of those have ten or more, and one of those is Stovall. And so it's probably going to be uh, Justice Ross Simmons most likely to get those uh, targets thrown his way, at least a little bit. It probably will still go to Horton and McCulloch, but you would, it has to go somewhere, and so we'll see. Yeah. So do do we have advanced numbers for this game? For since we have SP plus numbers. That's true. He is Bill going down D two this year. I think I've noticed that. Is he doing like really small? He's, school he's gone all the way down to three D three and NAIA. Oh boy, get your nerd on there. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. Um, SB plus though likes Sacramento State in this game. Oh, sorry, guys. not by much. Sixty one percent win probability, projected margin of four point nine points. That's way. That's a lot. I honestly. Do anything else like Brian Firmo or Firmo? No, or, um, no, they don't do they don't do FPS versus FCS. So I do have uh, Pick Center ESPN. Let's play the game. So FPI essentially Rams are favored. Do you want to guess the percentage? Is it like fifty five percent? Almost fifty nine percent for them to win. So what do you think? <sighs> I I got to go Rams, but do I? <laughs> I think they'll win twenty-one to twenty. It'll be a nail bite until the end. I hate to do this to Rams fans. Oh, he's gonna pick. I think they're the... gonna. I think they're gonna lose to an FCS team for a second straight year. Oh, that's right. They lost to South Dakota State last year. So you're taking the Hornets Sacramento, to beat the Rams. Sacramento State thirty-eight. Colorado State thirty-one. Okay, at least it gets the points. Yeah, I think 30, they'll get 31. points. I just, I, I honestly just think that Sacramento State is the more complete team in this game. You know, what we didn't do the offseason. We didn't do, we should have done the, I did the FB, the Power Five upset, but we should do FCS things last year and just copy splits on doing and do that and pick yeah. FCS teams. <laughs> I don't know if anybody picked this game. I'm trying to remember what that was a while ago and I've listened to that episode they did, but we should definitely do that at some point. I, I meant to, but just, you know, time gets in the way. But I would not be shocked if this was the, if the result goes to Hornets beat the Rams. So. All right, this wraps up for part one. We'll be back later today because, you know, stuff goes on. So this is your Mountain West Wire preview part one for this week four games. We'll be back later. So check out mwr.com to um, listen to this podcast. Or I guess if you're listening, keep just hit next on your player to listen to the next one you'll have later today. We've got all of our week four stuff plus some Q&As. we got our previews popping out. Also, real quick, a tease for New Mexico. Did you see what they're wearing this week versus the Tigers? The turquoise, right? Turquoise numbering, turquoise lettering. But also the red helmet again. Yes. So that means it'll be purple versus red, I'm assuming. That's yeah, we'll, pretty we'll cool. shower more praise upon that in part two. I just wanted to bring that up because we talked about the, the turquoise or the uh, topaz, and they listened to us. Apparently, they – come on. I'm just saying, right? Well, maybe they put, we're influencers if we didn't know it. Hey, remember the Thorobos got put in the uh, game notes one time a couple years ago? That's right. Just, however, your name was incorrectly put in there, but we still got – we knew it was Thorobos. <laughs> Sorry to – sort of bring that up, but it's all good. All right, MWR.com. We'll be back for part two later today. So, yeah, we got five games tonight we'll preview. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.